and welcome to another episode of Arte Labor, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you? Good weekend? Yeah, really good weekend, thank you. Um, sadly, didn't make it to the game. Um, was in Nottingham for uh, for the weekend, me and the missus, so that was nice. Um, kept up to date with the scores and things, and uh, obviously a bit of an emotional roller coaster, even not being there. But apart from that, yeah, good weekend. Yeah, I had a, a lovely 16-hour day, um, left my house at about quarter past seven for my first train and got in at about 10 to 11, so that was a long old day. But it was a ground tick, which I was pleased to do, so I've I've checked Portman Road off. It's a nice stadium, to be fair. It's quite old school. It reminded me a little bit of Hillsborough. Um, mm. I don't know why, bit Ellen Road, those sort of types of grounds that are not majorly old, but sort of bit more oldie worldy but it was um it's a nice stadium there that was the most enjoyable part because unfortunately it's not been a great week for Blackburn Rovers since we last recorded zero points um seven goals conceded four scored though and plenty for us to get our teeth into over the next hour or so we will start with Sunderland last Wednesday now as we record um but no doubt we'll flitter between the two games with different talking points but just Casting our minds back to the Sunderland game, obviously Rovers lost that one 3-1 at Ewood Park. They were the better side for most of the game, particularly the first 25 minutes. They genuinely could have been 3-0 up. And again, I feel like it's so blasé to say things like, oh, you could have been 3-4-0 or up. But when we say it about Blackburn Rovers, we're not talking about half chances. We are talking about Andrew, uh, Andrew Moran having... A, a goal bound shot from about six yards somehow deflected over the bar by Dan Ballard we're talking about Harry Leonard having the ball nipped off his toe by Ballard again um, and Smodics having the dirt having his effort deflected over the bar and countless other saves and, and big moments and somehow Rovers didn't find the back of the net they fell behind a penalty from Jack Clark after he was fouled by Ryan Hedges again a little bit unlucky it's definitely a penalty but you know, I have always have a, a degree of sympathy for players when they're trying to clear the ball like that and someone just nips in, who's just a bit sharper than Hedges, brings him down, it's a penalty. I will bring something up. I, I think Jack Clark might have double hit the penalty. It doesn't look quite right on the replays. And I mentioned this at um, the press conference that we had on Friday to some of the Rovers media staff. And we were watching it back and I definitely think if you watch the way it sort of bounces in, I think he's going for the corner that actually pairs dives. And it looks like, it's not obvious, but it kind of looks a bit weird. It looks like he might have double hit it, which completely went unnoticed by everyone at the time, including me. Um, But yeah, just how Rovers found themselves behind was absolutely bonkers. Obviously, they got themselves level for a very nicely worked goal. Callum Britton at the back, uh, crossing for the back post for Harry Leonard. Second goal of the season for him. Saw a very similar move at at Ipswich, to be fair, which involved Britton and, and Leonard and obviously went in off Harry Clark. I think Harry Leonard's had a good week, as we'll come on to later. But yeah, again, just the story of Rovers' season in that first half, how they were behind at half-time, was absolutely bonkers because they just didn't put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, and it's a worrying theme of the season, isn't it? Uh, Being clinical and and taking those chances, and it can apply it to to most games this season, actually. So it is becoming a bit of a worrying trend. Um, The Championship invariably goes the way of the side that that scores first. Um, that seems to just be one of the unwritten rules of the championship. And Jon Jon's very big on that. Like he always, yeah. he speaks a lot in press conferences about how important that first goal is. I think, I think I don't know if the numbers are right, but he always says I think it's like seventy five percent chance if you score mm. the first goal. 
that's it. It just seems to be one of those things. And, and for a team like Rovers, where you know we do struggle to come from behind in games, it's obviously even more important. But what I will say about that first 20 minutes, it is one of the most enjoyable first 20 minutes that I can probably remember watching Rovers, actually. I thought it was absolutely sensational, fluid football. And I don't think Sunderland knew what hit them. And the only way that they could respond was the last-ditch defending, which, for the record, I've got to say, was absolutely magnificent that, that defending that from Sunderland. Immense, yeah. Wasn't it? yeah, that's all they could do. They had to dig in, grind it out, and just somehow see if they could ride that wave from Rovers and, and not go behind. And, and ultimately, they did that. Really disappointing to concede the penalty in the way that we did. Um, it's really unlucky from Ryan Hedges. It's it's just one of those that bad timing. You know, it's I wouldn't even say it was clumsy. I just think it was just bad timing, unlucky. Uh, and and I'll have to look at the replay around Jack Clark and the penalty. I hadn't noticed that, so you've set me a little bit of homework tonight just to to look at that and see if I agree with you. But great for Harry Leonard to get the goal. Um, We've spoken, you know, at length on podcast versions that, that we've had about Sam Gallagher and, and obviously a little bit of weight on Telalovic's shoulders coming in now as well. So Harry Leonard will have to chip in with some goals. Let's remember he's only 20 years old. You know, he shouldn't be having all of the pressure put on his shoulders. But a really good sign the way that he, you know, that he scored that goal. Um, my criticism of Sam Gallagher over the years is the fact that he doesn't really score goals like what Harry Leonard did against Sunderland. Just that it's really little good movement, movement, isn't it, to peel away? Because I, I think your natural yeah. inclination is, is it offside? But actually, there's an angle behind the goal, uh, well, sort of the left-hand side, that sort of angle that shows really that it's mm. great movement to stay onside and get that sort of space in the penalty area. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that that is what Harry Leonard has got in his game. He is just a natural finisher, a natural mover in the box. And I could see that from the first moment I saw him in the first team as well. So he'll obviously develop that and he'll come better and better uh, as he gets older. But a lovely header, great cross from Callum Britton as well. Um, you know, great for him to carry on that that brilliant performance that he'd obviously had previously against Middlesbrough as well. So, yeah, to get back level was the least we deserved. But um, yeah, to then go in at half-time behind was was obviously a bit of a shame, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought Callum Britton was man of the match. He got the, the official man of the match as well. You speak about the goal there that obviously puts Sunderland back in front. It's quite a sloppy goal to give away. And again, it's another, well, this was the first of the two, but similar to the Harry Clark goal yesterday. Um, it's a second phase set piece where Rose just don't clear the lines properly. I'm going to defend Ainsley Pears on this one because I don't think it's a mistake per se. I think does a top, top championship goalkeeper save it or get closer to it? Maybe. But I think that the angle behind the goal, which Sunderland tweeted out, which I know a lot of Rovers fans jumped on, doesn't really take into appreciation the pace that it's hit with. He hit it really true, Dan Neal. It does come through bodies as well. And... I think the the angle behind the goal it makes it look like it bounces over his hand. I don't think it, I don't think he misses it. I think it's just hit so hard he can't get down quick enough. And it's you know he's inside the area. It has come through bodies. So does a an exceptional goalkeeper at this level save it or certainly get a hand on it? Maybe, but I'm not chalking that down to an error personally. Um, into the second half and again Rovers had opportunities. There was one for Harry Leonard where he he got in behind the defence. Dylan Marconde came on. I thought he looked really bright. He hit the post with a really good effort after shifting it onto his left foot. But let's be fair, the game was set up perfectly for Sunderland at halftime. And I actually thought second half they were... It's hard to say they were the better team, but I thought they controlled it a lot more. I thought they 
although they gave Rovers the initiative and said, come on, come on to us, they did it in a more controlled manner that Rovers didn't create as many clear-cut chances. It was less last-ditch defending. And the game suited them to sit in because they got such pace and quality on the counter-attack. And eventually that's what saw them wrap the game up. It's a mistake from Hayden Carter. Look, that's an occupational hazard when you're going to play out from the back. You've got young defenders. Um, Carter's played a lot of football. His standard has been right up there in 2023. I don't think that Dom Hyam has been particularly any better than Hayden Carter in 2023. I think they've both been really good. I think Carter, Carter I really rate, but he's had a very difficult week, particularly Ipswich, as we'll come on to. And he makes a mistake, it happens. And the difference between playing Middlesbrough and playing Sunderland and then Ipswich, as we've seen this week, they punish you. You don't get a second opportunity with that. And on the pitch, Jack Clark was the premium talent. He was the star attacker for either team. And he had the quality to, to take that, dribbles it in, easy finish. And it was game over from that point. Rovers weren't going to come back. Um, and I think that just shows the step up in quality. If you make mistakes, if you don't take your chances first and foremost, and you make mistakes in a game like that, um, that's going to that's gonna cost you. And, and teams have got more quality the higher up the league you, you go, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. That it's it's complete jeopardy in that sense, and and to be two one down at half time, you know, we've left ourselves exposed and open to that. And and I think your reflection on Sunderland in that second half is spot on as well. It really did feel like they had us a bit at arm's length. Yes, we had the chance with Mark Ande, but the more that half went on, the more it just started to feel like it wasn't going to happen for Rovers. And and I think Sunderland knew that as well. And and fair play to Tony Mowbray, he knew the way to set up in that second half and knew that they would be dangerous on the break knew that they had Jack Clark that could constantly hurt us. And it probably felt like for Sunderland, it was only a matter of time before they would get that third goal and, and kill it in, in the way that they did. Disappointing goal from our perspective. You know, Carter has set himself unbelievably high standards, but it's poor defending. It's really poor when we're trying to obviously get the equaliser and, and we're going into that stage of the game. It's, it's a big mistake from him, but... Jack Clark, you know, what a finish it was. I mean, he just made our defence look silly, really, didn't he? You know, put uh, Carter back on his backside and the way he just rolled it into the corner, it was just so nonchalant and just, you know, he just had supreme confidence in what he was doing at that time. So, yeah, for me, the story of the game is is that first half. You know, we don't take our chances and, and we're going into half-time 2-1 down. That ultimately is the story of the game. And I did think that Rovers probably wouldn't be able to maintain those levels that they were reaching in the first 20 minutes, not just in terms of the chances we were creating, but probably the energy that we were expending playing in that way. It was going to catch up with us. Sunderland will equally have felt that they were pretty poor in that first half. In fact, I think I saw a quote from Dan Neal after the game saying it was their worst 45 minutes of the the half, um, which is going to happen. But Rovers played exceptional. But you're right, they're not going to maintain that for 90 minutes. It's just unsustainable. It's not. And then I think the other thing that killed us maybe in that second half as well is I don't think the substitutions were the right ones to, to hurt Sunderland in the way that we wanted all, to. did it? It really made no. them look disjointed. I, I didn't necessarily think they were the wrong subs, but well, I suppose the Dolan one was a bit strange bringing him on up front for Leonard rather than Talelovic because he then got shifted out to the left anyway. But, you know, JRC for Travis made sense. Travis, I thought Travis had a good game for what it's worth, yeah. but played an hour. He was on a booking. Obviously, it'd been a, a fitness doubt having come off against Middlesbrough. Um, and what was the other one? Hedges. Was it Hedges? Yeah, Hedges for Marconde. Again, made sense, but it didn't work. You're absolutely right. And I, sometimes I guess that just happens. But yeah, it really disjointed them. And, and Garrett certainly didn't work when he came off a wall. And I thought he really struggled as well to get up to the pace of the game. 
Yeah, and, and it was a shame it panned out like that, particularly for someone like Jake Garrick. I think you know he's he's done well in the games that we have seen him. You know, at Harrogate, albeit you know at a League Two side and things. But I did think that Garrick would come on and make an impact. But I tell you what, killed Garrett was coming on and getting booked so soon. You know, that absolutely. just absolutely took him out of the game in that equation. So. Yeah, it was an unfortunate night. The substitutions didn't work and it was just a matter of time, I think, before Sunderland knew they were going to get that third goal. And it was desperately disappointing because I'm sat here thinking, first half, definitely it felt like we didn't get what we deserved and, and we should have been ahead in that game. But actually, when you then reflect on it at full time and the way that that second half panned out and the way that Sunderland had us at arm's length, you could probably say that you know Sunderland deserved the victory in the end on the basis of that second half performance. I don't think we really laid a glove on them. Look, goals goals dictate games, don't they? Goals change yeah. games, and Rovers should have been out of sight. And and if they had, they probably would have kept Sunderland at arm's length and gone on to to win quite comfortably if they put those chances in. the The difference is just was quality composure in the final third to convert those chances. Some of the football they played in that first twenty five minutes, half an hour, as you've just said, was breathtaking. Genuinely, so enjoyable to watch. They were absolutely fantastic, but. You can't do it for 90 minutes because A, the opposition will start to wise up and B, it's unsustainable to maintain those levels. But you've got to put the ball in the back of the net and the, the better opposition you play, as we'll, we'll go on to again with Ipswich, the more clinical and more ruthless the opposition is. And that that was a lesson for Rovers. It's a bit deja vu. It's a, it's a little bit boring, as Jan say. It feels like we've had the same sort of responses from Jan all week because everyone knows what the issue is and Jan's the exact same. It's Obviously, his uh, his job to address it. Although there were a few different bits at Ipswich, which we'll move on to now because that one's still fresh in our mind. So I, I think there was a lot of interesting threads we can pull out with Ipswich. Obviously, they got off to a, a terrible start. You know, you go into Portman Road, it's packed out. I think the attendance was about thirty thousand. You're thinking the one thing in your mind is don't give them a don't give the crowd an opportunity to get up. They're already excited. They're already creating a good atmosphere. Don't give them an opportunity to get behind the team. And they did exactly that. Again, they don't defend their box well enough. It's very similar to the Sunderland goal for me, where it's a second phase set piece. That said, it is an absolutely brilliant strike from Clark Yates. It's so hard into the top corner. Again, I've seen a bit of criticism of pairs on this one. And we'll come on to some criticism of pairs. Don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not being um, biased or sitting on the fence. But for the first one... The only thing I think you can say is could he come for the cross before it gets headed out when it's sort of looping in the air? I, I don't think it's an awful mistake. I don't. I don't. I won't say that's a shocker though. And it's a brilliant strike. So yes, you, no goalkeeper wants to get beaten at the near post, but I don't really think that that was on him personally. Um, weirdly though, they actually settled quite well after Clark had put them in front. I thought Morin looked really bright. And the goal they scored was absolutely beautiful. Great flowing move. It's Smodics into Travis. Lovely reverse pass. Kind of reminded me of the assist at QPR last season where he played, that was for Smodix, but this time it was Sigurdsson. And that is the bit of quality that Blackburn Rovers have been missing. That was such a composed, calm finish. It would have been so easy to hit the legs of the goalkeeper who was racing out him, but he sort of just didn't go through his legs, but he just sort of lifted it over the over his legs with his side foot. And that was the quali- bit of quality and composure that Rovers have been hoping that he can inject into that side. So he looks really bright. Great start for him on his on his Rovers debut. Yeah, if we just take these in the order that, that they happened in the game. So I obviously predicted us to lose this game and it was for exactly the reason that you've you've just said there in, in the first five minutes because that is just such a Rovers thing to do, to go to a side that are bang in form, really good at home, just been promoted into the league, absolutely full of it. 
it is just the classic Rovers thing to do, to go and concede early like that. So that's why I didn't fancy us to win the game, because I just thought we would buckle under the pressure. Uh, and ultimately, that happened in the first five minutes. Um, on Ainsley Pears and, and what he could have done, um, just to go back to the Sunderland one and the second goal, I'm like you, I'm not blaming him for that second goal either. I thought that was a difficult one. And and actually, my criticism is on the lack of lads closing him down on the edge of the box rather than Pears. I think with the uh, the first goal at Ipswich, I think what we're probably seeing is the difference between what I would class as a proactive goalkeeper that likes mm. to come out of his box, likes to command the area, will take every opportunity to be involved in the play as much as he possibly can. Maybe someone like Kaminsky, maybe someone like David Rea, versus maybe just more of a traditional goalkeeper that you know we would see over the years. You know, someone who's a good shot stopper, solid enough, you know, but not proactive in that sense. So. I think the first goal, I'm not blaming Pairs for it, but what we might have seen is a proactive goalkeeper absolutely coming out for the punch. But hey, you know, the finish is absolutely sensational. And again, you know, the lad's got, a, you know, time to just get his touch, get it out of his feet and then whack it into the top corner. So could someone have closed him down? Don't know. But yeah, no blame in terms of the finish itself. And then, yeah, the, the Rovers equaliser. I mean, first and foremost, what a nice surprise to see Arna Sigurdsson in the starting lineup. Yeah, that, you know. that really caught me off guard. So I, mm. I get the team news a little bit early under an embargo. And even like no one had, that was not expected. I thought he'd be on the bench, but I wasn't mm. expecting that at all. Yeah, and, and a big move from from JDT. And, and absolutely, it's paid off there. And you're right, the movement is, is brilliant. You know, the run from Sigurdsson is one thing, which is that little bit of quality. But then fantastic from Trav as well. I said on last week's podcast that, you know, I want to see more from Trav in an attacking sense. I'd love to see him score more. But if he's getting assists like that, then absolutely he can be doing that. Because, again, that takes the pressure off Adam Wharton being the creator all the time. If Trav can bring that to the party, then, you know, that gets my vote in in that sense. But, yeah, lovely little through ball and cracking finish from Arna Sigurdsson. And great for him to get off the mark so early in his Rovers career. You know, that's a good you know, kind of monkey off his shoulder, if you want to call it that, you know, just in case he does go through a dry spell now, at least he's got that first goal, but hopefully it's onwards and upwards for him. Unfortunately, obviously, that was kind of the best it got in that first half, because from <laughs> then on, Ipswich dominated. And it, it, I'm sorry, but it was all dictated by the second goal. That changed the tone. Rovers were well in it at one all. Ipswich hadn't looked that threatening. The second goal is a bit of a shocker, isn't it? Because... Pears just makes the wrong decision. He does not need to come for that. I don't really know why he thinks he does because I think it's Dom Hyam. He's in perfect control of the situation to go and win the header. He comes out, hashes the clearance, which can happen. It's a lovely ball from Chaplin to get it first time into the path of Broadhead. Um, and it's a brilliant finish from him. But Pears is never set. He can never get himself back in goal. And obviously he's given the ball away. And then I never, I don't, it's a great strike to the corner, but he's, he's not set his ease. He's still scrambling. And that just got that just sort of, it just sort of deflated everyone a little bit, and from that that really gave Ipswich the confidence to go on. Whereas Rovers sort of stepped back up at one nil and got themselves back in the game and, and started to control it. Ipswich really got into their stride then. And um, the third goal again, Campers be you're talking about? I, I don't think it's how I think that's a good way of describing it. Proactive goalkeeper, he sort of hesitates. Maybe he's got the last incident in his mind because there wasn't that much of a, a gap in time between the second and third. He sort of comes, doesn't come. He is absolutely not solely to blame. Hayden Carter loses George Hurst, who, by the way, George Hurst absolutely ran Hayden Carter ragged. George Hurst was absolutely fantastic, as was um, a couple of his players, which we'll come on to. But 
it's it's just a really simple goal. It, it it's I don't know how he it's so easy for him to dissect it with the pass Cameron Burgess. Hurst makes a great run. Carter should stay with him. But it travels a long way, the ball, doesn't it, before Hurst pokes it past Pears. And you can sort of see with Carter, he's expecting Pears to come. And I think if he'd definitely not come, it might have been easy. But he sort of comes a little bit, then stops, then go. And again, it's not a howler, but does a more proactive goalkeeper just come and take the lot? And maybe he would have had the incident before, not just happened five minutes ago. So it's a really slow. That that was the one for me where that was a really avoidable goal. That was uh, obviously the second one is, but it's an individual error. Whereas the third one, there's mistakes from everyone that are really avoidable, and that was just a really disappointing goal. The third one because it's just too simple for it. Which for a team of their quality as well, you you want to be cut open a little bit more. And the the two goals Rovers gave away from one all to three one, really really poor. Yeah, and I think sadly these are the uh, two goals that that Pears has to take his share of the blame of, or or indeed all of the blame of. And I think um, I think the two incidents are definitely linked. Uh, and if we just take them in turn, I think what you're seeing with the second goal is a goalkeeper who is not naturally proactive trying to be proactive results in him making the hash of the clearance like that. So all goalkeepers have different need to styles. Come, though, does it? He just absolutely no, shouldn't be coming for that. No, he shouldn't. And all goalkeepers have different styles. So the fact that Ainsley Pears isn't a proactive goalkeeper in that sense is not a criticism. You know, all keepers have different styles. You know, you don't see other keepers. So I think, sadly, for whatever reason, he's made the decision to come. And maybe he's not used to doing it. Maybe he's not confident doing that. But that ball has just got to go into the proverbial rose ed, uh, as you say it. But the position that he's got himself set into, it's just a kind of weird half-volley type position where he's never, never going to... Is he? As you say, he's sort of coming not... onto it at the angle. He, cannot get, he can't mm. get his laces on it or it'd go straight out of play, but sort of does a skewed side foot. He just, he just shouldn't come for it, is, is That's my it. That's it. So the execution is really poor, but you're right. You know, there's still a bit of work to do for Ipswich. You know, brilliant, you know, couple of touches from them and, and a good finish where, where Pears isn't set. Then the linkage into the third goal, you're absolutely right. Because he knows he's just made the the mistake for that second goal, I absolutely believe that that contributes into the decision-making on the third. And my opinion is he should have been coming out for that third because by not coming out, he's made the finish very, very easy for George Hurst. And actually, the way that George Hurst was playing against Carter, Pears has got to help Carter out in that situation. You know, he's having a bad half. Hurst has got the run on him. This is where your goalkeeper can help you out. Do you know yeah. what? If George Hurst ends up dinking it over Ainsley Pears or finishing it even though Pears is coming out, fair play to George Hurst. It's a cracking finish in that sense. But he's made the finish so much easier by staying on his line and not coming out in the way that he did. And I just think he could have made it much more difficult for uh, George Hurst in that sense. So this one, I don't think it's fully on Ainsley Pears. I think Hayden Carter has to take some of the blame as well. And actually, I don't know if you've heard the audio clip of the Ipswich commentators on that third goal. Uh, They make a remark to say, oh, that's a bit of a different goal that Ipswich have scored this season. So completely away from their blueprint on how they score goals, they've obviously spotted that run down the channel, which is why Hayden Carter obviously has to take his share of the blame there because the run's on. Fair play to George Hurst. But yeah, I think Pears could have been more proactive. But it goes back to my point. He's not the proactive goalkeeper. That's not a criticism. But I think he could have helped out Hayden Carter, definitely. Yeah, I think so. The second one's obviously a big mistake that no one can dispute. Um, and the bigger issue, like obviously Pez has got to take his share for the blame, but I also think the midfield was a huge issue in that first half. And I, I wrote about this this morning. 
Um, and I tweeted about it a little bit on during the game as well. But we saw in that game the risk and reward of playing Adam Wharton as a, as a sole pivot because we've all been waxing lyrical about particularly Ewood Park where he's gotten the ball, he's started attacks from deep and Rovers have looked brilliant. But sometimes you can't have your cake and eat it. And against Ipswich, they really got overran in that area. And, and, and it was structurally for me there was the issue rather than individual performance. I thought Wharton did look a little bit leggy. I thought he did on, on Wednesday night if I'm often and if I'm honest, and I did wonder if he'd come out, but I think there isn't a natural replacement to come into that role for him, uh, if I'm being honest. And then also the fact that you've got a cup get. If, if the league game was Wednesday, I think Adam Wharton wouldn't have played on Saturday. But the fact it's a cup game and he's not going to play and they'll rotate the team, I think probably was why JDT didn't make more changes. And it's very easy in hindsight to say he should have made more changes. But my issue... Is not particularly Adam Wharton played, although I thought it looked a little bit leggy. It was more the structure of the midfield. So you've got him playing as the deepest pivot. You've got Travis to the right, Smodic to the left, which they've played all season. It's not been a 4-2-3-1. It has been a 4-1, 4-1, whatever you want to call it. And the way Ipswich played, they got they basically were back three um, off the ball and a back four on it. So you've got Nathan Broadhead, who's playing on the left wing when they've got the ball, uh, when they've when they were defending, but drifting inside as almost a second number 10. So you've got Connor Chaplin as one number 10 who's playing behind George Hurst in the 4-2-3-1. It then goes more to a back three and Broadhead comes inwards to play as that second 10. And they were just playing rings around him. Now, that for me is on Yondal Thompson to say, this isn't working. Lewis, Travis, back you come. Let's play with two holding midfielders. Let's play Sam Smodix as a number 10. But in fairness to Trav, and you could say, yeah, Trav's experience is captain. Why is he not dropping in? He's following his manager's instructions. He's doing what he should. And I'm I'm not blaming him for that. I'm blaming the manager. I think the head coach should have done that. And I asked Thomason about the transitions and about the, that. And, and he didn't really agree with me, which is absolutely fine. But he pointed, he said that the goals didn't come from transition and again, and then sort of went back to the Middlesbrough and Sunderland games and said that. But they were way too open in midfield. And yes, the goals didn't directly come from transitions that went in. But there was big opportunities that came in that game that didn't lead to goals, that was purely down to the structure of their midfield. And he should have pulled Travis deeper, in my opinion, to give him a bit more cover and to get them a foothold in the game. And, you know, Broadhead hit the post um, at the end of that half. Pez did pull off a couple of saves as well. So the it could have been four, like to get to half time at 3-1 after, once the second goal went in Ips, which dominated for half an hour, basically. Um, and from that point, until half time, they could they could have had as many goals as they want, and that was the the problem for me. and And that's the risk and reward. That's not me saying that they shouldn't do that because I can't say, isn't it brilliant? Look at the football they're playing because they're playing this attacking style, and then say, oh, why are you setting up in that way? But you've got to react in and your game management and your in play uh, tactics have got to be a little better to go. We need to get to half time. Let's pull pull one back and let's sit with a more solid base of, mid, of a two man midfield. Yeah, and I think there's not many areas where we, you know, can be critical of JDT or, or want more as fans. But I think maybe this is the one area where we're kind of finding out the hard way under JDT. Um, I love what he's brought to Rovers. And I would say that his philosophy this season is fighting fire with fire. You know, he's gone but to Ipswich. Didn't they on this occasion? Absolutely. So he's gone to Ipswich, not respecting their home form, not respecting how they're playing this season. And I think other championship managers might have made it a bit more tight, a bit more difficult, you know, and as you say, just formationally play a bit different. JDT hasn't done that. But sadly now, you know, the stats aren't lying. Um, you know, we've conceded three away at Plymouth. We've conceded four away at Ipswich, 
three in the previous game to that at home to Sunderland, conceded a couple away at Rotherham. You know, we are leaking goals out of this side. The goal difference is minus four as well. That's it. So, um, I, for the record, love how we're playing at the moment. I've joked around before that my heart rate doesn't like how we're playing at the moment. Um, but I do think there is a time and a place where JDT as a manager might just need to think, okay, my side is good and I have confidence in these lads and that is never going to wane. However, Ipswich away, Leicester away, Leeds away, there might just be a time and a place for our formation. There might just be a time and a place for how we want to play. So I'm sure JDT's taken a lot from from how it panned out on Saturday. Um, and I absolutely love the confidence that he's got in our lads and, and in the system. But yeah, if Adam Wharton was exposed in that way, obviously I've not seen the game. Maybe the, you know there are those things that, that we can label at JDT around just responding in game and, and just acting like like a British championship manager, so to speak. You know, you could see Neil Warnock or someone setting up a bit more ugly can't, at Portman Road in that way, can't you? I don't necessarily think the issue was how they set up. I don't mind going with that mindset. But when Ipswich have gone 3-1 up with two quick fire goals, you've got a few players across the pitch not performing particularly well. For example, as I say, Hayden Carter, he set such high standards in 2023. I am a huge Hayden Carter fan. He was seriously struggled against George Hurst. George Hurst had his number all afternoon. Again, Harry Pickering, I thought he was really poor again. Really struggled against West Burns and got absolutely rinsed by um, Hutchinson when he came on Amari Hutchinson. He looked unbelievable, by the way, on loan from Chelsea. So he's, you know, he's a big talent and, and he could be really good for them. But they both absolutely bad him. So when you've collectively got a few players that are probably feeling the effects of three games in seven days, not playing particularly well... I don't mind you starting like that, but that's when at 3-1 and with players not playing at the standard they've set for themselves, you've got to just regroup a little bit and, and change things. However, of course, there were positives. The second half, much better. They were still wide open defensively, so nothing changed. All the things I've just said about transitions and being wide open, that still applied. The only difference was they started to move the ball quicker, not giving it away as much, and they attacked far better, and they got themselves back into the game. Um, again, as we just spoke about, the, the second goal, which halves the arrears, very similar to Leonard's goal against Sunderland, except this time it goes in off the shins of um, of Harry Clark, who obviously scored at the other end. And then Sam Smoddick's such a good finish. Like I cannot emphasise how good that is hit because it's a lovely touch to turn the defender because you're thinking he's going to take a touch and play it out wide because there's another man spare. But he has the confidence to take it into his stride. And that is a roof. You know, we've talked about Rovers not taking their chances. That is clinical. That is ruthless. And that's five for the season for him. That's already the same amount of goals he scored last season. And we spoke about him on last week's podcast about him putting his hand up, him stepping up. Well, he's already got five goals and one assist, which is one assist away from or managed in the entirety of last season. Such a good finish. And Rovers were so much better second half. They could have been level before then. Harry Leonard with a diving header. Brilliant save by Vladke. So there was big, big chances. And once they did get back to free all, it was like a basketball game. It was really end-to-end. Rovers could have won it. But again, they got punished. They got burned. And that's that's good, the gunko style. And I don't necessarily mind that in terms of that's the way I'd rather Rovers play. It was just in the first half when you're getting so overrun and players are struggling on an individual level in their duels. You've got to sometimes... Not retreat, but just accept it, ride the wave, get to half time. And then they did regroup in the second half. They got themselves level. 
And it was a you know two really well worked goals. Yes, a bit of fortune with the own goal, but Smodic's finish is brilliant, and they played some great football in that second half. I thought Marconde um, coming on at half time. Well, he came on. Hedges came on at half time, and then he lasted eight minutes and got injured. And then Marconde came on, and then you had Dolan on the other side who had a big chance when he first came on as well. So there was there was a lot of opportunities. Again, they could have genuinely scored six or seven goals. Um, so there were positives for that. I thought Harry Leonard was absolutely superb. I thought he was good in the first half, but he didn't see a lot of the ball after Ipswich took control. But then in that second half, he was brilliant. So obviously, he doesn't score the goal, but he, he's the one putting the pressure on that, that gets the mistake and gets the own goal. But his link play and the way he held the ball up and occupied the centre-backs, I thought he was really good and really unlucky with the header that the keeper saved. And that I gave him an eight. He was my star man, and I've been really impressed with him this week. I mean, let's give the lads some credit for this. You know, three one down at Portman Road at half time, and with how open the game was, and it's very Millwall. It was very yeah. similar to Millwall the way the second half went. The way that you've described that, you know, that had the potential to be four five six one. So you know, hats off to the lads. Let's give them credit. We've been crying out for Rovers to to come from behind in games, and particularly two goal deficits that we've seen as well. So hats off to them that they've come back into that game. And and fair play to JDT as well. As much as I've just been critical there about, you know, that in-game adjustment and being like a British championship manager, sticking to the guns, keeping the game plan the way that it was, you know, we got our just rewards. And, and let's talk about the two goals. So firstly, Harry Leonard, we just said about the Sunderland game that his natural ability in the box, you know, in and around that six-yard box, making the movements, yes, it's gone down as an own goal. But, you know, if he makes those movements in the box... And if Rovers put crosses into the box as well, which I don't think we do enough of, you get your rewards in a game of football. So great cross again from Callum Britton. You know, his so name is coming up. a bit more with Britton because he's a little yeah. bit more of a natural fullback than, than uh, Rankin Costello. He's more making runs, so you're more playing intricate passes and cutbacks, whereas Britton's more likely to put crosses in like he has mm. done in the last week. And great that it's Britain to Leonard again. You know, I don't mind relationships being formed on the football pitch. So clearly Leonard and Britain are striking up something there. So that's great. Great ball into the box. And it's a shame it's not gone down as Leonard's goal. But, you know, all the hard work done by him in in that sense to create that. And then Sam Smodic. Um, we were talking last week, weren't we, about the need for a finisher and, and who our best finisher is. Sam Smodic is absolutely playing at the top of his game at the moment. Off the pitch, on the pitch what he is representing for Rovers at the moment is nothing short of magnificent. And everything about that goal just oozes the confidence and the class that he is playing with at the moment. That first touch is just ridiculous because that then creates that opening for him to bang it in. Oh, the finish. Lethal. And it has got to be a good finish as well because I don't know who it was on that left-hand side screaming for the ball, but I would have been (laughs) angry had that not gone in because obviously they were in acres. Yeah, but uh, what a finish from Sam Smodic and joint championship top scorer as well with those five goals. So uh, he is at the top of the championship top scoring chart as well. He wasn't really in the game. He didn't have his best game at the weekend. But if you cannot be, you know, he was a little bit on the periphery of the game, but to still influence it, to still impact it in a goal scoring manner, he wasn't doing that last season. And and that's what good players do. You know, we've said it about good goalkeepers. Good goalkeepers might not have anything to do in a game then in stoppage time, they're pulling out a worldly save to keep the points for their team. It's a similar principle here. Good players know how to affect the game at the right moment. If they're not getting the touches, if they're not involved, they're still sharp. They're still thinking mentally, right, I'm going to get a chance in that game. And that's exactly what Sam Smonich did here. And this is the thing I'm talking about in playing at the top of his game. 
he is just oozing the class and the quality of a top-level championship performer at the moment. You know, he has made that step up from League One last season and into this division, done that adjustment, clearly worked hard on himself in that period of time when he was out of the side under JDT. And that shirt is now his to lose. You know, one of the first names on the team sheet and an absolute fan favourite for Rovers. So absolutely delighted and absolutely backing up what you and I said last week about him being the best finisher in the club. You know, that stands true with the way that he finished that. Yeah, he absolutely absolutely buried that, as you say. The winning goal, um, again, I think pairs could do better, potentially. It's a ball, it's a deep cross. Can he catch it? I'm not an expert on goalkeeping, so whether he's done the right thing to punch it or whether he should have tried to catch it, you know, to my unprofessional eye in terms of goalkeeping, I think he could try and catch it. But then if he drops it, I suppose you're saying that. But he's got to get more on it if he does. He's very unlucky in the sense it's an it's a brilliant finish again from Luongo. He literally chests it on the half volley, back of the net, top corner, brilliant strike. So he's very unlucky that two of the four goals that have flown past him have been absolute worldies, really, with Clark and with Luongo. But it really was a sucker punch. And, and unlike at 3-1, and when they got to 3-2, I never really thought they were going to get the equaliser for 4-all. And it was just a bit of a, a gut punch. But he did pull off some good saves pairs as well, um, I should say. Particularly at 3-1, just at the start of the second half, there was one from Broadhead, which hasn't been on the, the more mainstream highlights on Sky and stuff. If you watch more extended highlights, you might see it, where Broadhead cuts inside, it's a good save. That goes in 4-1, it's game over. There was also one at 4-3, where Hutchinson went clean for on goal. He kept the minute, basically, because that would have been 5-3. That would have been game over. But I do think we need to have a, an honest conversation about whether there needs to be a change in goal. I, I don't know, ultimately. I've not seen... Well, I've not seen Walstead play at all because I wasn't at the Harrogate game. Obviously, I wasn't in my role at the time. And we've not seen a lot from him. I think after Wednesday, we'll have a good idea of whether there needs to be a change. We'll have another look at Leo against the Championship side. And I think there, there can be an honest conversation about whether there's a need, as well for pairs as well, because he's coming under a lot of stick from the fans, um, which is not criticism of the fans. You know, they're entitled to share their views, but it must be quite mentally taxing as well. There's clearly a little, it must be playing on his mind a little bit because I, I think the decision to come out for the second one, again, just uncharacteristic, just a rash decision. So maybe he needs protecting a little bit as well. So I'm not saying he should come out definitely and be changed because I, I, we don't know how good Walstead is ultimately, but I'm inclined to, we'll see, well, we'll definitely see him on Wednesday night against Cardiff. And maybe then we have a, an honest decision to make about whether he plays on Sunday. But I thought, again, I don't, it's not a howl, but could he do a little bit better for that fourth one? It's, Tough for Ainsley Pears this because this all goes back to to quite far back, doesn't it? You know, it goes back to Thomas Kaminsky being in in my mind the best goalkeeper that we've had since Brad Friedel. And like it goes back to Wigan. <laughs> yeah, it probably does go back to that as well. But you know, he is filling some big shoes in Thomas Kaminsky, and you know, a lot of fans, including myself, were disappointed to see Kaminsky go. But clearly, a footballing decision that we have to respect, and it was the right deal at the right time. So Pears is already carrying that baggage that a very well-liked goalkeeper uh, has left the club and, and he's now staking the claim for, for number one. I'm afraid that Pears does have to take his responsibility for the game on Saturday. Um, the fourth goal, I'm not 100% kind of blaming him for that. Goals two and three, absolutely, I think he has to take his responsibility. That, that's where I'm at as well. Yeah. The fourth goal, it's all about the execution again. I don't 
you know, criticise the fact that he's gone for a punch or over a catch on that. He could have done either in my mind. But for me, it's the execution. If you're going to punch it, get it away. Don't get it down the throat of Luongo, who can then get it back. But that said... It doesn't clear the box, does yeah. it? It's unlucky no. that it falls straight to an Ipswich player and not a Blackburn yeah. player and he buries it. But you've got to clear the box, ultimately. Yeah, it's got to clear the box and, and get out of there. But it's a great strike. And I think, sadly, you know, with all of those things that I've said, layering it on, you know, Wigan, Kaminsky, everything... The fact it then results in a winner to make it 4-3 for Ipswich makes it just appear like an obvious error and an easy thing to blame pairs for that. What I will say now, what happens next as fans and, and the way that the club go about it as well and, and how they want to do that, we've got to be dignified in how we do it. And for me, this is quite similar to the uh, David Rea, Aaron Ramsdale situation now. So if we want to replace pairs in the side, we can go about it in a way that is completely based in the football so David Ray has come in at Arsenal, and actually, if you look at David Raya's numbers and how he plays compared to Ramsdale, it's a complete, completely different style of goalkeeping, but he's offering something different to Arsenal now in terms of his ability to play with the ball at his feet, his passing range, and all those other things. If you look at the stats, they're there for David Raya. We can go about something similar with Leo Walshtek. JDT might have a goalkeeper now in mind with Leo that we can play a certain way or play differently and we can do it completely based on Leo on the football that we want to play rather than just criticising pairs because he's made a couple of mistakes. So I think as fans, we've got an obligation here not to get on the back of still a young lad, you know, 24, 25, 26, I don't know how old he is, who is 24. replacing 24, replacing a fan favourite goalkeeper. That's tough. So... I just think, you know, we can just do better than just blaming pairs for everything. I'm sure he will take his shoulder of the blame for the goals and he will be absolutely disappointed, first and foremost, to concede four goals, let alone be responsible for a couple of them. But for me, I do think the time is is now to see Leo. Let's see what style of goalkeeper he is. Is he this proactive goalkeeper that I'm yearning for? Is he the proactive goalkeeper that is more a like-for-like -like replacement for Thomas Kaminsky? who was a proactive goalkeeper. That's what I want to see now. And I'm going to badge it in those terms rather than Ainsley Pears ain't good enough. He is good enough. He, at times he last season... He was good enough last but, season, wasn't he? He deserved absolutely. to be after Kaminsky came fit again at the end totally. of March. But it's also very valid and fair to be raising these questions. Totally. Very valid and fair to raise them. Absolutely, Pears earned the shirt last season. But now is the time to have a look at Leo, see what he can bring to the side, see what he does to our style of play and make it his shirt to lose. So, yeah, we are right to have this conversation, but we can have it in a way that is not personally criticising pairs. It's yeah. it's just time to look at something different. Potentially, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, that brings us probably nicely on to the Cardiff game. There's going to be 10, 11 changes on Wednesday night, undoubtedly. Walstead will be in goal. I'm expecting probably JRC at right back. Hill, Wharton, Batty, Tronstad, Garrett. Um Gil Senen maybe, yeah. maybe Telelovic probably up front, Marconde, and maybe Sigurdsson. I don't know. I don't know whether he fancy. Just to be clear, actually, I probably should have said this earlier. I asked John about him coming off at half time. That was completely pre planned. So if the score had been 2 0 to Rovers, 1 all, whatever, he was coming off at half time. He was only ready for 45 minutes. Jon probably said, in, in, in honesty, it was probably a bit of a risk from him to start him rather than use him as a sub, which we expected. So he's definitely fit. That wasn't an issue. They're just managing him carefully. So maybe he starts and plays an hour. I don't know. Uh, maybe he comes off the bench. But yeah, you've got options. Um, he's got changes that he's obviously going to make. We, I, I think Telelovic will start up front. 
I think you'll have Gilsenen maybe off the left, Marconde off the right, Tronstad, Garrett, probably one of the attacking, whoever plays in that other midfield role is, is probably up for debate. Maybe that is Sigurdsson from the start. Maybe Dolan plays and Gilsenen plays a bit more central. And then the back four and five will be pretty similar. So, how are you feeling about the cup? Obviously, there's not been a lot of tickets sold already. Um, although there never is, in fairness, with the cup games because people tend to get them late on because there's not a big rush. Um, the Blackburn end's not open, which is, will be a bit weird. Um, so, yeah, I think Rovers have shown the value of the Carabao Cup. Yes, it's not top of everyone's priority list. They're going to make changes and got nothing to lose, really. No, and I love what JDT's done with the cup competitions because it wasn't long ago that we were getting knocked out in those early rounds and, and having some embarrassment. Well, already, the, the stat is they've already won as many uh, cup games under under Yon as they did under Mowbray. Yeah, definitely. So I love that JDT respects the cup competitions. And, you know, there's a lot about football these days which annoys me and winds me up in, in terms of the money and, and all that type of stuff. But the cup competitions still have that element of beauty to them as much as, you know... Rovers at home to Cardiff, two championship sides, isn't the most romantic tie. But what these games do do is it gives that real shop window and that, that real chance for these academy lads and these young lads who aren't getting the moments in the first team at the moment to really show what they're about. And there is a big chance for someone on Wednesday night with Ryan Hedges now injured. You know, that is a chance for someone to say, if he's going to be out for a few months, well, pick me. So... I like how JDT uses the It's a big opportunity for Dylan Marconde in that way because I think he's yeah. looked quite bright in the two sub-appearances he's had. And there's going to be a vacancy on the right side. You know, Moran yeah. started there against Ipswich. Marconde wants... It kind of feels like we're not... If if Marconde wants to break through at Rovers and make a career and, and be starting every week, now's a... Re- I don't know, obviously, what the extent of Ryan Hedges' injury was. We can only go on what Jon said, which was it didn't look good. Um but this is an opportunity for him that you go, do you know what? I'm going to start five, six championship games in a row and then we'll get mm. a clear idea of what his capabilities are at this level. Yeah. And what I love about the cup competitions as well, you know, football is a lot about moments and, and as Rovers fans, we've not had many good moments since being relegated from the Premier League in particular. But, you know, you speak to any fan about West Ham away and Leicester away and and all of those games and it's moments, isn't it? So, I'd like us to go through and, and see if we can set up another one of those games. I guess the only risk that we have with the cup competitions is the further you go into the Carabao, you know, you're stacking in those midweek games into what is a very thin and stretched squad. Add in some FA Cup replays as well. And, you know, you start to just put pressure on the squad. And, and as I say, it's not the biggest and, and not and not the deepest in that sense. But I absolutely want us to progress. It's a shame there won't be many fans there, um, but I get it. You know, times are tough for people at the moment. People can't just rock up at the football the way that they used to, but hopefully those that are there are, are able to obviously support the lads and, and we get to see some of them that we've not seen much of this season. Someone like Tronstad, for example, I, I think he's really unlucky to not be in the side at the moment. And that's down to how well that Travis and Smodic in particular have been playing. And then, Obviously, we've got um, Adam Wharton in there as well. So it'd be great to see Tronstad and, and hopefully he can show the manager that he needs to be getting a start in place. So I think JDT sees these cup competitions as one of his main ways to create that hunger in the squad. We've spoken about it before that when players sit out, when they're not involved, they appear to come in and make an impact and do well. And I think this is part of that shop window. Yeah, I completely agree. It'd be a good opportunity. And they've been entertaining. You know, it was an entertaining entertaining game against uh, Warsaw, wasn't it, in the last round mm. of 4-3. Um, we got to see 
some of the young lads as well. Everyone was really excited watching uh, Zach Gilsenen as well in the in the game against Walsall. Some a lot of people who only watched the first team won't have seen before. And it's about you know giving those players an opportunity. James Edmondson, another one that will be in and around it, I imagine, on that day. Pat Gamble. So I think that will be hopefully a win for Rovers. I think they'll probably care about it a little bit more than Cardiff, although um, I, don't, I think both teams will make wholesale changes. Leicester coming up, you know, just after the back of back-to-back defeats. Um, it's the Championship leaders and, in my opinion, the best team in the Championship right now, Leicester City. And they're going to have to step it up. You know, we, gradually, I feel like we've gone from Middlesbrough to Sunderland to Ipswich to Leicester. We've slowly stepped up the quality in the last three matches. It's going to be a notch up again. They're going to have a free week in the sense of the players that play against Leicester, unless obviously there's injuries or someone absolutely plays unbelievable against Cardiff. It's going to be a similar group of players, so they're going to have a free week. They'll be a bit fresher. It's going to be a really tough test, isn't it? And it'll be interesting to see, well, I know how Rose will approach it. They'll, they'll approach it in the same way they do every game because that's the style and that's the belief from Yondal Thomason. Yeah, definitely. And at home, I do think that JDT fancies himself um, or fancies the side against anyone rocking up at Ewood Park. And, and why wouldn't we think that? You know, Ewood Park has been a happy hunting ground on the whole for, for JDT and, and JDT sides. But make no, no mistake about it, this is going to be a really, really difficult game. And with how open we are at the moment, the goals that we are conceding, um, you know, the basketball style nature of the games that you've said, um, we will get punished is another one of those that we will get punished. And I hope that we can keep it tight. I hope that we're not conceding three goals again. But it's another one of those, like how I was fairly confident about Ipswich away and our ability to not win that game and, and feeling pessimistic about that. I've got to say it's another one where I'm feeling quite pessimistic just with the way that we're playing at the moment, just with how open it is. I do think Leicester have got the ability to pick us off, which is a shame to say, but it, it is just how I'm feeling about that game at the moment. But, you know, we've seen it at Ewood before. We can make it difficult if we can take our chances early, like what we should have done against Sunderland, it could turn into a completely different game. And sometimes these Sunday games can be a bit weird. You know, they can be a bit flatter. We might be able to catch Leicester when they maybe are feeling a bit flatter as well. So who knows? Maybe we could just scrape the 1-0. But I'm expecting a really difficult game and, and they've got some quality. You know, Dewsbury Hall at this level is is just something else, isn't he? So they've got players who can just pick you off like something. Yeah, totally. They were really good against Bristol City at the weekend, although they only won 1-0. It was probably the most complete performance. I watched them against Southampton as well last Friday night, and they looked very good in that game as well, particularly first half. So they've, they've got dangerous players. It'll be, it'll be a good clash of styles, actually, because they obviously want to play um, open football as well. They'll come on to Rovers and maybe hitting, Ro- hitting Leicester on transitions in, on counter-attacks could suit them. Time for the predictions. What are you going for this week? Uh, Cardiff, I think, yeah, it's obviously going to be a really flat and, and weird game with not many fans there. But, um, yeah, I do think we will progress. Um, I think JDT will be looking at Leicester coming up next and thinking, OK, I don't want four defeats on the spin, potentially, which is, is obviously not a good look. Um, potentially three home defeats in a row as well, which is also not a good look. So I actually think there's an element of importance of this game for JDT, knowing that Leicester are coming up next. So... I think that will generate a bit of bite in the Rovers' side. Um, I am going to say that we will do it 2-1, I believe. 2-1. I think Rovers will progress as well. I think although both teams will make changes, I think Rovers 
got quite a proactive look with the Cups. I, I like that the team, although it's going to be 11 changes, you know, the likes of James Hill, Tronstad in particular, uh, Telelovic, they've got a point to prove. And if they played really mm. well, it could start at the weekend. So I think because of the slight underperformance of a few players against Ipswich, the shirt's up for grabs. There really is on this occasion. So if you, you go and really catch the eye, really impress, you could start. I'm going to go for a 2-0 Rovers win. Then it's on to Leicester. Hmm. That's going to be a tricky one. Uh, it will be tricky. I can see it being a bit flat, like when we played at Vicarage Road. As I say, that 12pm Sunday, people feeling a bit hungover, you know, that type of thing. It just feels different, doesn't it, when it's not Saturday 3pm. Hmm. And I think that might just create a bit of a slower paced game, something that, you know, is a bit flatter in that sense. Um, and I, I, I can just see Leicester nicking it in that sense. I do think we'll try and keep it tighter. Maybe we might revert back to something that we saw in the early days of JDT with that 1-0 blueprint that we had. I do think JDT is going to be hurting over the last week or so. The manner of the defeats, the way that we've conceded goals and the respect that he will afford to Leicester. So I think that combined with a flat 12pm Sunday kickoff time, I can see it being a really close game and, and sadly 1-0 Leicester. As, as much as I hate predicting Rovers to lose twice in a row on podcasts, it's it's a, just a couple of difficult games, isn't it? Ipswich away and Leicester at home. I think for me, again, do I think Rovers can compete between both 18-yard boxes? Yes, of course I do. But against Sun Ipswich, we saw that they're, they're not clinical enough to take advantage when they are on top. And Leicester are going to be a step up in quality on the two teams that have just beat them. So I, I also think Leicester will win this. I'll go for a 2-1 Leicester win. But I do think Rovers will give it a go. I don't think they'll play any different. I think they'll still try and play on the front foot. They might tweak a few things. Um, and They just don't have the players, in my opinion, in attack to play low-margin football. They're, they're not mm. a team that has got the capabilities of sitting men behind the ball and trying to nick a chance like they did sort of at the start of last season when they got Burton Diaz and when they just weren't as good playing football. Now they're a really good footballing team. Mm. But the quality of forwards they haven't got they haven't got players that are capable of just sniffing out that one chance like Dak could do in his prime or Burton Diaz could do. So they've got to play on the front foot because they've got to create chances and that's the only way they're going to do that by flooding men forwards. I absolutely do not believe, although I think Rovers have got to be better defensively, I don't believe they've got the capabilities to play low margin football. This is the right way. It's just risk and reward. And sometimes yeah. you're going to get burnt and sometimes you're going to see unbelievable football and they're going to win football matches. And someone probably is going to be on the right side of a Tonkin at some point soon, but I don't think it's going to be Leicester City, that's fair <laughs> to say. Um, you know, I spoke on, I put on Twitter that after the Sunderland game that I didn't think Rovers were a big issue defensively because I didn't think that they were getting cut open in open play. And I stand by that at the time because you look at the goals against Sunderland, you've got a penalty, which is a bit unlucky, but a foul. Second face set piece and a counter-attack from a, a mistake quite a big mistake. The goal, the Ipswich game, completely different. They were wide open in transition. I did think they were getting cut open at will. And that's where that concerns me a little bit. Because up until then, I thought, yes, the defensive record doesn't look great. But I'm looking at the two centre-halves thinking, they're both playing quite well. Ipswich was a completely different story. That, that, that was where they looked badly structured and they got exposed. So hopefully this week will bring better fortunes for Rovers and uh, obviously we'll be here to recap it next Monday. Thank you for listening. Um, make sure you're subscribed to the Art and Labour podcast in your app of choice and make sure you follow the Lancashire Telegraph at Blackburn Rovers and check out the site for the most comprehensive Blackburn Rovers coverage this season. You can subscribe and support local journalism 
to the Lancashire Telegraph. Um, you'll get a better reading experience, you'll get fewer ads, and you can get some subscriber-only content throughout the season and plenty more perks. If you go to thelancashiretelegraph.co.uk forward slash subscribe, you can get £1 for your first month, and that's across the entire Lancashire Telegraph, not just sport, or you can get 15% off an annual subscription, which works out at less than uh, the average price of a pint per month. So if you are in a position, please do support Lancashire Telegraph and uh, get a subscription to enjoy the best Rovers coverage this season. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you again next week. 